welcome to episode 11 of the Love Frequency. My name is Lisa Love and I'm the host and I'm so glad that you've stopped what you're doing and have taken the time to tune in. Today's topic is something that I've been thinking about and experimenting with, particularly in the last couple of weeks. And this is a great time of year, you know, winter time and around the holidays in particular, to think about the topic of self-compassion and nurturance, as well as giving and receiving. So let's start with what is self-compassion? So when I think of compassion, I think of its close relative, empathy. To have compassion means that we feel with, similar to empathy. And in the case of compassion, we're feeling with the suffering of another or of self. And there are so many ways in which we suffer. It can be very subtle that we're having some emotions that we haven't fully identified and we're pressing them down out of our out of our experience to try to keep it at bay and that causes a sense of separation within self and the more we do that the more we suffer because then we we limit our access to our true self and so allowing the suffering of feeling the emotion right we think we're going to suffer when we allow a negative emotion to come up be felt be acknowledged perhaps be expressed, we think that's so bad and we don't realize the damage that we're causing by trying to override that. And so we end up getting this sort of logger jam of unprocessed emotional tension that the body ends up carrying. And that can then turn into feelings of physical discomfort. So to have compassion means that we're opening ourselves to the experience of whatever is showing up in the moment. Whereas empathy is feeling along with somebody else, almost as if it's our experience. And those of us who are empaths, highly sensitive to other people's energies and emotions, we have to do a lot of really meticulous self-care so that we're clearing out at the end of each day whatever we may have picked up or accumulated, kind of like static uh, electricity, right? We can pick up a charge and uh, we need to discharge that. So one of the things that I like to do to make sure that my energies are running clear is to use the visualization of standing underneath a waterfall of light. And that waterfall can be full of compassion and forgiveness, and kindness, and love, but it's going to wash over and through every cell. And as I'm visualizing that, I simply intend to release anything that isn't mine. And that way I can stay open, because I want to be open, and I want to use that sensitivity to feel more fully my experience of life. 
And it can take a couple of minutes where you just breathe and release and allow things to let go. And that in itself is a very healing practice. So I was taking this class this week with this wonderful yoga therapist. I'll put a link to her website in the notes. Her name is Danielle Gorman, and she practices yoga therapy in Portland, Maine. And I've taken a class with her before the eight limbs of the 12 steps. And the class that she's offering this December is three weeks, and she's done two of them already. She's doing it as a love offering for free. And people can also contribute, which I think is so generous. And the focus is on self-compassion. And in the second class this past week, she talked about how self-compassion has two sides to it. One side is what we just talked about, feeling with, noticing the suffering, allowing yourself to have whatever experience is here and present. And the other side of it is action, which comes from discerning, what can I do in this moment to honor my needs, to care for myself, or to care for this person for whom I am feeling great compassion. And What I found I was, because she does movement-based exploration, what I found myself doing in that inquiry was very lightly placing the palms and fingers of my hands against my face and just gently caressing. And it felt so deeply kind and present and nurturing that I decided I was going to bring that practice into my day every day this week and see how that affects me. And so what I do, and I would invite you to experiment with this, is to simply close your eyes and place your palms wherever it feels comfortable on your face, as if you were holding yourself with such cherishing kindness like the most loving response that you could ever imagine receiving. And as you receive it, also notice that you are giving it. You're both giver and receiver. And if you wanted to take another step with this, you could do this in front of a mirror where you lovingly gaze into your own eyes And even talk to yourself and say something that is deeply caring, deeply kind, soothing, and nurturing. Even if you just do that for one minute a day, oh my gosh, what a difference I found it makes. I'm just softer with myself. There's so many opportunities during the day to judge ourselves. And I find I come back to that feeling that I have when I'm practicing the hands on the face, just holding myself with kindness. I can sort of find the residue of that feeling in me. 
I don't know about you, but being an empath, I find that whenever there is even a hint of judgment coming from another person towards me, or even if they're talking, you know, some people are really good at not giving you negative judgment, but they'll talk about somebody else that they're judging that does something similar to what you do. And therefore you feel like it's kind of a roundabout way that you're feeling judged, but you can't quite say, hey, that's judging me, you know. But anyway, so what I do is I, I take whatever subtle or not so subtle judgment I, he- I hear or feel coming towards me and I amplify it and I blow it up and I think, oh my gosh, this is such a big problem. Now what am I going to do? I've got to fix this. I've got to fix me. Something wrong with me, right? There's something wrong. And that can take me over, even though that might be only 1% of my experience. We all have this negativity bias in our brain. And it's, it's a survival thing that we want to latch on to any particular danger signal, right? To keep us, quote unquote, safe. You know, there's so, so much that really does not threaten our safety that our nervous system can interpret it as though it it is. And so we have to be really careful about those of us who are really open and sensitive about how deeply we take in feedback from another that does not feel compassionate or kind. And that's where the self-compassionate practices come in. So I wonder what that might be like for you. Maybe it's not holding your face in your hands tenderly. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's putting on a cozy pair of socks and curling up with your journal and just writing about your feelings as though you're looking through the lens of somebody who really, truly loves and supports you. We talked about lens in a previous episode And that is part of self-compassion, finding the kindest lens that you can to look at yourself. And it dovetails beautifully. The action phase of self-compassion dovetails beautifully with this concept of nurturance. And so I'm going to read to you from a meditative journal entry that I have where I was exploring what what is nurturance. Nurturance encompasses the giving and receiving of deep emotional and physical care. When practiced, it has the effect of opening the internalized locks or compartments that have consciously or unconsciously been sealed off to protect our psyche from that feeling of deprivation. So we close down. We close parts of ourselves down and lock them away. Closing down the awareness of our need for deep and loving nurturance is an attempt to ward off feelings of undeserving or feelings of selfishness for wanting more love, more affection and connection. It's as if we as a culture have practiced the denial of its validity by labeling it as selfish. Rather, it's an affirmation of our boundless 
need for connection, for pleasure, for soothing, for restful repair and restoration. The act of nurturance is the giving of loving attention to self or other, or both at the same time. As one receives nurturance given by another, the receiver gives the pleasure of receiving, which is a beautiful gift to the giver. And as the giver, whether giving to self or another, the act of administering care and comfort with kindness is a selfless act at its core. Now, it may be corrupted by the ego or the will at times, such as saying to ourselves, well, I'll do this for them now so I can get something else later. Like maybe if I'm really nice now, they'll do something great for me later. Doing it as an exchange. Or doing it out of a sense of obligation and responsibility. So those are some corruptions of nurturance. And when you notice that happens, just set that aside and tune into the real original intention, which is simply purely to give and to give with a fullness and a kindness. So the act of nurturance is really devoid of the true joyful pleasure that it's designed to provide when we corrupt it, right? Because there's something attached to it that's sticky. And so it's, it's not a good feeling. Because the true source of nurturance is unconditional love, which assumes that love is always present with no agenda except to flow where it can most readily be absorbed and assimilated, just like water. It just flows into the earth where it's absorbed and assimilated. So one single breath taken in with a sensual reverence, as if you were smelling a beautiful fragrance, right? As an affirmation of your intention to live fully alive is deeply nourishing and nurturing. So try that, just one single breath with real sensual reverence. Just taking in the simplicity and the beauty of this one breath. Feel the slow sweetness of the life force or chi filling you up as you intentionally receive the goodness of just this one breath. And notice how easily can you attend to the experience of receiving. So in self-compassion practice, we are both the giver and the receiver. It's a, it's a, a circular loop. So notice that how you're doing what you're doing, the act of giving, is not so much something to rush through or have a task orientation to or an obligation to do, but an allowing, a soft taking in, a soft experiencing, 
when we deny ourselves this beautiful act of receiving love and care in ways that truly fill us up, then we tend to turn to other methods, such as shopping, overeating, overdrinking, even oversharing, or seeking constant feedback and affirmation and attention from others. Then we're looking for it outside of ourselves, whereas in the act of self-nurturing and self-compassion, we are seeking to experience the fullness of who we are. We're not trying to correct something and say there's something wrong I have to fix. We're trying to move beyond that, that view of lack and have an experience of our wholeness and affirm that wholeness. Because it's really the ego's journey the ego's intention to create sort of a a smokescreen to lure us away from feeling truly fulfilled and connected to our true self through nurturance. So it wants us to look outside. Because the ego will get bored and feel disempowered to influence you if you move towards ways of caring for yourself ways of being that acknowledge your wholeness and your sense of feeling complete within yourself. And you can just start by asking yourself this question. What would truly nurture me now? So that's the action side of the other, the other side of the coin of self-compassion. What would truly feel nurturing now? And the non-egoic response is usually something very simple, non-material, and accessible with little effort, like the one breath, or simply making yourself a nourishing meal and doing it with loving kindness, not doing it hurriedly to get through the task, but to let the act of preparation of food or tea carry that energy with it of intending to be nurturing and to receive that nourishment even as you're preparing or just that breath. So the next time that you ask for a hug, you give one or receive one, recognize it as an opportunity to both receive and give nurturance. Nurturance expands. It expands our capacity to receive and to give as we share it. And the next time that your inner critic or someone else says to you, that's selfish or, I don't know, seems like you're doing an awful lot of that self-care stuff. When you take time away, time for yourself, and you light some candles or you sink into a fragrant warm bath. Just allow that poison arrow to glance off. Oftentimes those comments come from people who feel disconnected from their own capacity to feel nurtured within themselves. And they may initially resent or find it suspect (laughs) when they see somebody else modeling that. 
so you can practice compassion for that comment, right? Rather than taking it to heart. Taking this time to give and receive nurturance builds your container of presence and love so that you're, as you give to yourself and fill yourself up, then you, you fill yourself up to overflowing. And then everyone whose life you grace benefits by your presence, by the mere presence that you are embodying this feeling of fullness and compassion and nurturance and kindness. And it's way more efficient, economic, and effective than buying buying your way there, buying that other pair of fancy shoes to add to your collection or whatever it is that you think will fill that sense of neediness or hunger inside and desire to feel filled up. You're already full. And from that place of fullness, you can expand. So may you absorb that feeling of nourishment and nurturance through these simple acts and attention. I thought I would share a poem. This one is called Blessing in the Chaos by Jan L. Richardson. This is a poem that came up as I did a search for self-compassion poetry. To all that is chaotic in you, to all that is chaotic in you, let there come silence. To all that is chaotic in you, let there come silence. Let there be a calming, a calming of the clamoring. Let there be a calming of the clamoring, a stilling of the voices that have laid their claim on you, that have made their home in you. Let there be a calming of the clamoring, a stilling of the voices that have laid their claim on you, that have made their home in you, that go with you even to the holy places, but will not let you rest, will not let you rest, will not let you hear your life with wholeness or feel the grace that fashioned you. Let what distracts you cease. Let what divides you cease. Let there come an end to what diminishes and demeans. Let there come an end to what diminishes and demeans. And let depart all that keeps you in its cage. Let there come an end to what diminishes and demeans. And let depart all 
that keeps you in its cage. Let there be an opening. Let there be an opening into the quiet that lies beneath the chaos. The quiet that lies beneath the chaos where you find the peace you did not think possible. The quiet that lies beneath the chaos where you find the peace you did not think possible and see what shimmers within the storm. See what shimmers within the storm. That's Blessing in the Chaos by Jan L. Richardson. Beautiful. So it reminds me of the toroidal field that each cell, each being, each life form has this flow and it comes up the middle and then flows out around and down below and then back up the middle or it comes down the middle and flows up and around and back down either way, perhaps both. And in the very center is this still point. And in that stillness is the experience of being, is that quiet place of rest, the eye in the hurricane. That quiet peace that the storm cannot touch. And we all have access to that, but only through the present moment and only through the lens of loving kindness. And that's increased through the practices of self-compassion. And there are a couple of other resources I'm going to share that I also discovered this week thanks to a friend who sent me a link to a YouTube video on havening, H-A-V-E-N-I-N-G. And what I love about it is it's very simple to do. It's a series of self-caressing, basically, again, with very soft hand strokes. And your hands have so many nerve endings in them. And any time that you use your hands to give pleasurable touch to yourself in a calming, soothing way, like in this havening process, which would be just bringing your hands across your body to the tops of your shoulders and gently swiping down, smoothing down till the elbows and repeating. Sliding your hands from the shoulders to the elbows and feel how both your hand enjoys the sensation as you're giving it, so your hand is receiving some nice stimulation there in the nerve endings, but also you're giving it to yourself and you're receiving it through your arms, upper arms. And then the other place to touch is drink, drawing your, hand, your fingertips and palms across your forehead and down the cheeks. And I was interested to see that 
that's very similar to what I was doing with just caressing my face. And then a third place is to start just inside the bridge of the nose and fanning out across the cheeks. And then the fourth place is to actually rub the palms of your hands against each other in a really comfortable, slow, sensual way. Again, in a way that gives and receives pleasure. And that could be your self-compassion practice. And what it tends to do, according to the research, is that it reforms the receptor sites on the amygdala, which is in our limbic system. And it's a structure in the brain that is coded to become active when we sense danger. And those of us who've had significant trauma or witnessed things that were really upsetting have an overactive amygdala that tends to react so that, for example, like I was sharing earlier, when I hear a little hint of something that's judgmental or negative about me, it's like I go into a fear response, like, oh no, something's really wrong. That's an indication that the amygdala is hyperactive and interpreting something that somebody else could say is just, well, that person's having a bad day, right? It's not about me. Um, someone else could let it glance off. Someone whose amygdala is hyper alert, hyper vigilant, hypersensitive is going to react differently. And this havening self-care practice can actually quiet the amygdala and supposedly remove by ungluing, using, creating um, some neurochemical reaction through your nerve ending responses. A neurochemical reaction that strips some of those receptors for the fear response off the, the amygdala. It won't strip them all away. Your, your amygdala will still be able to tell the difference between an actual fearful experience or one that you're just sort of imagining or being hypersensitive to. So give that a try, the havening process. And the doctor who was, and I'll, I'll put a link to that, the doctor who was teaching it, who's also a certified havening practitioner, I guess there's practitioners you can go to who will do the havening for you, but it's so easy to do. Why wouldn't you just do it yourself? He said, notice what, what strokes, what places feel the best for you and experiment with the amount of pressure and the speed and stay longer at the places that feel really good and rotate through all four. So I hope that that gives you some lovely space so that you can take time this winter, this holiday season, and be really intentional and meticulous in your self-care. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please feel free to share this with anyone. If you have comments, you can go on the Anchor app and create an account and send me a voice message. And who knows, 
I might include that in a future podcast. Or you can leave suggestions or questions that will give me some feedback for what you'd like to hear in the future as well. Take good care.